Well, saints, today um, we are going to be, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Daniel and find yourself there in Daniel chapter 9. Now, we covered this chapter in its entirety on Wednesday, but we're going to look at just one verse here this morning. And the, the, the focal point of what we're going to do and what we're going to see here is found in the first part of verse 26. So in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 26, it simply declares this, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. If you want to really understand and really grow more as you come here to Sunday mornings, as we use these applicational messages here on a Sunday, keep in mind that the the message is designed for those that, if you've never been here or first-time visitor or you haven't been following us, this message will meet with you and minister to you. But if you really want to grow, my counsel this, either come to Wednesday night or tune into the Wednesday night or or go back and watch one of the Wednesday nights because we're going to be looking at the fullness. And so what we're seeing is this. I want to give you a bit of just an overview of really what's happened in this chapter. The chapter here in Daniel chapter 9 starts off, and I want to give you just that answer there in verse 2. It declares this, Daniel said, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So here's Daniel. He recognizes as he's studying through the word of God, as he's studying the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies, that there are 70 years that are determined for the nation Israel. As he understands this, Daniel now you know, comes to this understanding that we don't know on our end, he knew on his end that there were 70 years. Daniel right now is somewhere between 64 and 66 years in into those 70 years. So there's only a few years left according to when he understood you know, Daniel or Jeremiah's prophecy. So there's only a few years left before God is going to um, bring his children back to Jerusalem. And so God says, 70 years, you're going to be gone, and then I'm going to bring you back. And so as, as here, as Daniel looks at this prophecy, he's realizing God's about to meet with us. God's about to bless us. God's about to intervene in the lives of his children. And so what does Daniel do? Well, he looks at these 70 years, and he says, we need to get right. So what Daniel does here in verse 3 through 6, let me read that to you. He says, then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And I said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. We've rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments, and neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. So Daniel is going through this list of all the things that he realized, we haven't done this. And Daniel right now is trying to get his heart right with God, 
And he's also going to be wanting to get the nation of Israel's heart right with God. And that's why Daniel opens up there in verse 5, and he doesn't say they have sinned. Now keep in mind, we haven't seen Daniel sin yet. But he does make this statement. He says, we have sinned. So Daniel initially is looking at this little period of 70 years, and he says, we need to get right with God. Now what God does is this. God is going to now bring Gabriel to the forefront. And Gabriel's now going to come and he's going to meet Daniel. And what Gabriel's going to do is this. He's going to say, listen, Daniel, I know you're looking at this period of 70 years and then I'm going to intervene. I'm going to bring you back and the children back to Jerusalem. But I'm here to tell you what Gabriel is trying to let Daniel know is that 70 years that, that here Daniel is looking at is not the priority is not the main event. The main event, as Gabriel comes and says, listen, Daniel, 77s are determined. There's a whole nother timeline that's so important. Now, you're looking at me intervening. You're looking at me going to be bringing the children back, and I know you want their hearts and your heart to be so right with me. But what I'm here to tell you is this that there is another timeline. And that timeline isn't the 70 years of Jeremiah. That timeline is another timeline. And so Gabriel comes and begins to share with Daniel about here in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people. Not the 70 years, but the 70 groupings of seven years. And so he's literally telling Daniel, listen, it's not just that 70 years that Jeremiah said, but there's a 77-year period. So all together, he's looking at, you know, the, the, the whole lump sum of having the, you know, 70 entire year period dealing with the children of Israel. Now, as Gabriel talks about this 70 groups of seven years, he says there's two events that you need to look to. The first is this. Read with me again in verse 24, where Gabriel tells Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city. So for the nation of Israel, for Jerusalem, to note this, three things, to finish transgression. In other words, Deal with, deal with the, the transgressions of your people to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, Daniel here, remember what he does. As soon as he realizes that 70 years are determined, they're about to come back, he begins this whole process of really trying to get his heart right. He goes to God there in verse 5. We have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. We rebelled. We by departed from your precepts and your judgments. He's making note of that. Now what Gabriel says is this. There is, I know you're trying to get right, Daniel, but there's another time period that you need to focus on, and that's this 70 times 7 the 70 weeks or the 70 groups of seven years. Now, what that will do is this. It will, one, finish transgression. It will make an end of sins, and it will make reconciliation for iniquity. How's that going to happen? Well, as he goes through in verse 26, he makes this statement dealing with that whole total of the 69 weeks 
He says in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So what God is trying to show Daniel is, listen, I understand Jeremiah's prophecy, but that's not the main event. There's another main event. And so what God is trying to do, he says, I know you want to get right with God. I know you want the children of Israel to be right with God. But you have to understand that you're not going to get right on your own. I'm going to make you right. And this is the key to the fulfillment of the prophecy. One, it's going to show you exactly when Messiah comes. The other thing is this, it's going to show you more importantly than when he comes, and that's a crazy, unique prophecy in itself, but it's going to show you why he came. And the key is is what? God says, I know you want your heart right, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make your heart right. I know you want this whole area where, Daniel, you've been confessing, and you said we've sinned and we committed iniquity, we've done wickedly, we rebelled, but I'm here to tell you that the Messiah is going to finish transgression. There is going to be an end of finishing of transgression. There is going to be an end of sin. There is going to be a reconciliation for the iniquity, and that's what? The Messiah, verse 26, will be cut off, but not for himself. And this beautiful thing where, where God is now showing how, Israel, you will not make yourselves worthy. I will make you worthy. And so here Daniel is asking God to forgive. And God, through Gabriel, is showing Daniel how that forgiveness is going to be accomplished. And it's not going to be through you working. It's not going to be through you serving. It's not going to be through all the things that you did. The real timeline, Daniel, is this. You want to be made right? I've got the timeline. The timeline is here. It's in the 77-year period as we go through the 70 years of the, the seven groupings. This is how it's going to be done. And the way it's going to be done is this. The Messiah is going to be cut off. But I love what he says. When you, when you take this term, the Messiah is going to be cut off, it means literally he's going to be killed. It's the term for capital punishment. And as we see what's happening here, the Messiah is not just going to die. The Messiah is going to die through capital punishment. He is going to die the death of a criminal. And so as we see what's happening here, God is trying to impress what Daniel is. Daniel says, I want my heart right. I want my heart right. God's going to say, listen, your heart will be right. But there's nothing you can do to make you right with me. There's nothing you can do to make the nation Israel right with me. And if you've ever been at that place to say, listen, I want my heart right with God. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing you can do other than do one thing, except what God has already done through the person of Jesus Christ. This is what makes us right. This is why this prophecy is so important, because what God is saying is this. Not only will the Messiah come, and I'll tell you exactly when he will come, but you have to understand, Daniel, that in your prayer, wanting to be right, wanting so much for blessings, God says, I prepared it. It's already set. It's a done deal. And as we take a look to this, I want to share you just a couple of passages. The first, if you're a note taker, jot it down. Don't turn there, but just simply jot it down. 
The passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what God did. Now, there's another prophet that Daniel would have known of, and that's the prophet Isaiah. And if you would now turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah, and I want you to see Isaiah chapter 53. Because what he's learning as he goes through the scripture, what God is trying to confirm to Daniel is this. I know you want to be right, but you can't do it yourself. There's already a work that's going to be going on. That work has not happened yet. That work will happen in the future. And that prophecy here of Daniel 9 tells you when that future will be. But what Isaiah declares in Isaiah 53 is this. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now note what it says here. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now notice verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace in other words the way for us to have peace with God was upon him and by his stripes we are healed verse 6 we are all like sheep gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord verse 6 has laid on him the iniquity of us all you understand the way to do have forgiveness is not to work it out. It's not to try to pay it back. You have no idea the amount of sin that we've committed against this holy God. We could never do it. So God says, listen, my son will pay the price. And now in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. No nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. Wait, I just jumped two pages. So he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Now, at the end of verse 8, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. So they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied and by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. 
for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Now notice what it says at the end of verse 12. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. This is the work of Christ. So as as Daniel here is trying to say, Lord, I know that you're about to meet with us in this 70 years determined by Jeremiah. No, no, that's that's not the main event, Daniel. I'm going to tell you the main event. The main event is how you will be made right. The main event is how you will have your, 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 your transgressions dissolved and your sins forgiven. That's the main event, and that's going to come when the Messiah comes. He's going to be cut off. He's going to die a death that's a death of a criminal, but that death is not going to be for himself. That death is going to be for us. And so here is this beautiful prophecy that Gabriel gives to Daniel. And I want you to understand that he is going to be cut off, but not for himself. A couple of verses just for you note takers to jot down. The first is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19. Hebrews 7:19 declares this. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, don't get me wrong. The law is perfect in itself, but the law, keeping the law, never made anyone perfect. The only thing the law does is this, is it condemns you. It tells you, you failed here, you failed here, and you failed here. It's still God's heart. It's still perfect, but it's our inability. So understand, the law made nothing perfect. And this is what Daniel has to know. Daniel, you can't make yourself right. You can't make the children of Israel right. However, I can make you right. And I have a way because I'm sending the Messiah. I'm sending the Christ. And he's going to die this substitutionary death for you and the nation of Israel. And as we're going to find out, for the world. Now, in in Hebrews chapter 10, the first two verses, let me read this to you. It says this, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, so in other words, the law is a shadow, not the, the reality, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. All the sacrifices, all the works, and everything they did never made them perfect. How do you know? Because next year you had to have another sacrifice. The next day there had to be another sacrifice. Sacrifice in the morning, sacrifice in the evening. There's always another sacrifice. Why? Because you've never been made perfect by the sacrifice. So if you're thinking, I'm going to sacrifice this, and I'm going to sacrifice this, and I'm going to make myself right, you're going to have to keep sacrificing because you're always going to, what, need another one. And so he says this, you will never, and I I love the heart of it, again in in Hebrews 10.1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered, 
For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. He says, here they are again. You got another one. Why? Because you have a consciousness of sin. I realize I've done wrong. And over and over, here's that heart. One other passage I want to share with you for your note takers, simply jot it down, found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Let me just read it to you. It declares this. For I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So you can't say, well, you know, the, the, the law, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to help me out. No, the law will only condemn you because you cannot. You have to understand, the law is not a menu to say, I want this and want this and want this. And that's to my account. But these other ones, that doesn't count to me. No, God says, listen, it's either all or nothing. You do all or nothing. And understand that the law is not like multiple links, you know, side by side and, and, and hooked onto this connection with God. So if one breaks, I still have all these other things that I'm doing right. You have to understand that the law of God, have you ever seen like in, in, in uh, like elementary school that they make these little rings out of construction paper and there's a loop and a loop and a loop and a loop and they go long ways. So the law isn't multiple links side by side by side, but it's, it's a link going down and another link going down, another link going down, another and everything that you do. Now, some links that you do, like your links of prayer or links of reading the word or links of witnessing, those are strong steel links. But there's other links that you do, and I know of me, it's made of paper mache. It's like, well, that's not a strong suit of mine with you, Lord. But understand that that link is still in there, whether I like it or not. And as I hang on that link, as I'm on the bottom, guess what? Every weak link will break. And once one link breaks, I'm gone. I'm gone. So that's what the law is. And this is here what I love, where Paul, when he wrote to the church here in the book of Galatians, just opened it up. He said, listen, I do not set aside the grace of God. I come to you not because of these, these rules and regulations. I come to you on the basis of the merit of one thing, that the Messiah was cut off, that my Jesus died a criminal death upon the cross for my sin. He died for my transgressions. And as he died for my transgressions, he took my sin upon himself and he gives me the very righteousness of God. He does a swap. He does a substitutionary thing. Now understand when Daniel is making these statements, and I want to read that passage back in Daniel 24 one more time, just the end of it, where he says, to finish transgressions, to make an end of sin, and to make reconciliation for iniquity that you can't read this passage and divorce the rest of Scripture. I want to share one passage to you. It's found in the Old Testament. Jot it down if you're a note-taker. Found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Leviticus 17, 11 says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. God had made up 
an understanding of where you could be, in a sense, made right with God. But understand, he said this, that if you sin, the wages of sin are death. It just is. The wage of sin is death. And now if you sin, you deserve what? You deserve the death penalty. Now when you come to that, keep in mind God says, I will allow you to have a substitution. So you could sacrifice a goat for your sin. You could sacrifice an ox for your sin. You could sacrifice another animal for your sin. But understand that every one of the sacrifices that dealt with sin was what? The death of another living being. And this being then was a substitutional being. So whether it's a a goat, a sheep, an oxen, whatever it is, it had to die so that you could be made right. Because the penalty was what? It was me. I should have died because I sinned. Now what God said is this. All these, the, the blood of the bulls and the goats, which was I've declared here, it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So what do we realize? That Jesus, if you die, you have to do one thing. You have to shed blood. And that blood will be the atonement for our soul. You have to understand that as Jesus was there upon the cross, he bled. He bled. And that blood, that blood is atonement. Now keep in mind, it's not just the the, the blood of a man. It's not the blood of a good man. It's not the blood of a prophet. Many prophets shed their blood. This was the blood of God. Jesus Christ was the God-man. And as we see here, the Messiah's death is not for himself. The Messiah's death, as we see here, that he is going to be cut off, but it's not going to be for himself. At this point, when this Messiah, when this anointed one, when the Christ would be cut off, that Daniel was told this, that he would be cut off, but not for himself. That term means that he would be cut off with nothing. Now, it means one, like we're talking about, but not for himself. He's, it's not him that's doing it. It's something else. So it's not him. He has nothing. It's no reason for him to do it, but he's doing it substitutionary. The other thing is this. There's an understanding that, that scholars have that when it says that he would be cut off, that he would have nothing. In that sense, the underlining message behind this, this passage is this. When he would be cut off, but not for himself, or he would be cut off with nothing, it would make this statement that he, in his death, would gain nothing. So keep in mind that Jesus Christ is what? He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. And as we see here, did the the nation Israel, did they receive him? Did they understand this is our king? Now, wise men would come and they say, here's the king. Well, we come to worship the king. And yet in the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 11, it says he came to his own and his own knew him not. He had nothing. And so keep in mind that here Israel had rejected him. The, the, the leaders, the spiritual leaders were the one who told him, crucify the guy. And the crowd was there, crucify him, crucify him. 
earlier the crowd was saying what? Hey, blessed be the, 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 the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the Christ. And now the crowd is saying, crucify him. So he has nothing. He doesn't have the kingdom of David. He's crucified. He doesn't have, and I find this is interesting, not only does the nation of Israel reject him, but his disciples also flee. And even there while he's on the cross, remember that passage in in Matthew 27, verse 46, where he makes that statement, he's quoting from Psalm 22, where he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You understand he has nothing on the cross. Israel has rejected him, putting him upon the cross. The religious leaders have done the same. His disciples, his followers have fled. Even the father turns his face. So while he's on the cross, guess what? He has nothing. And that nothing even translates even further. Because what does the king want? What does a king want? Well, first off, he wants a big kingdom. And he wants a happy kingdom. But he also wants one thing. He wants an heir that he can give the kingdom to. And when Jesus died on the cross, guess what? No heir. There was no heir that he could say, yeah, here's my kid. He's going to have the kingdom. The beautiful thing is this. There's a passage for you note takers. Jot it down in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, where he says this. Where I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. This is the key. When they said Jesus had nowhere on the cross, he had no children. But since then, guess what? He has lots of children. The nation of Israel, those who receive his finished work, they're his children. We who would believe through the teaching of the apostles, we are his children. And I think it's important to recognize here that God has a purpose. God has a plan. I want to share with you just a couple of verses in the, the, the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to turn first to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. The reason I'm going to have you turn to Matthew 16 is <clears throat> we're going to kind of journey through because what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is this. Listen, I'm going to die. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 does declare this that the prophet Daniel declared of this time. He declared of me. So Jesus knows one thing, that Daniel the prophet did make mention of him. Jesus like, hey, Daniel spoke of me. But he also realized one thing, that what he spoke of the Messiah is this, that when the Messiah came, after that 62 weeks, according to the appointed time, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, the 69 groupings of seven-year periods, after that time he would come and then he would be cut off, but not for himself. I want you to see here how Jesus is trying to share with his disciples this truth. Matthew 16, verse 21. Um, as he goes through, he simply makes this statement. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. 
Over and over, he's trying to tell his disciples, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to go to the grave, but don't worry. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. In Matthew 17, verse 22, he says, and while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. On the third day, he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17 through 19, he says this, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him, to scourge and to crucify, and on the third day he will rise again. You understand what Jesus is saying? That the Messiah will be cut off over and over, but we realize what, but not for himself. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 59, let me read that to you. I'm going to be reading from verse 59 to 61. He makes this statement. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought to find false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. In Matthew 27, beginning in verse 37, we see this truth being spoken of. I'm going to read from verse 37 down to verse 40. And it declares this, And they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And so we see here this incredible, powerful truth. And those who passed by blaspheming him, wagging their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And also, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 62 through 65, makes this statement. On the next day, which followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that while he was alive, how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, He's risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Try it. Give it a shot. But we understand what? The Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. He would go to the cross. He would die for our sins. And as he would die for our sins, he would have that incredible blessing to say, yes, I will die for your sins. But once I die for your sins, understand that what I'm going to do, I'm going to come and I'm going to rise from the dead. Two passages to close up, and then we're just going to have a time of just worship and a time of communion but it declares this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first six verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand. 
by which you are also saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And after that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the presence, but some have fallen asleep. And here's what I love what Paul is telling this church in Corinthians. He said, listen, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. You understand? It was a substitutionary event. He went to the cross. Messiah went to the cross. He was cut off. He died the death of a criminal. He shed his blood, but not for himself. It was for us. And we see here, he says, I'm telling you that Christ died according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day according to scriptures. And we're witnesses of this truth. This is what we're here to celebrate this morning. And in just a moment, um, Regan and Marianne are going to come back up and they're going to lead us into worship. And we're going to have a time of communion. And what I want you to realize as we come to this point of communion is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Beginning in verse 23, Paul makes this statement. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do is often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When you take communion, you know what you're declaring? Victory. You are proclaiming the gospel. You are proclaiming that I was separated from God. I was in this judgment period in the same way as Daniel saw the 70 weeks. He said, we're in a judgment period, but it's about to be over. Understand, the real judgment period is what? All of us have sinned. But God says there's another timeline, and in that timeline is 70 groups of seven, and there's going to be a point where the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be cut off. That is going to be how you're going to be made right with God. And when that time comes, then you will realize that incredible truth where, yes, transgression is finished, the sins have ended, and there is a reconciliation for iniquity, that no more is it sin upon us. And that's what Paul is trying to say. That Jesus says, listen, here's my body, here's my blood that that blood makes atonement for you and that body makes you what? One with me. It makes you an heir. It gives me an inheritance. You are now my own. What a glorious thing that this is. So I want you to see as we come here to this ninth chapter of Daniel, I think everyone is focused on the prophecy, the prophecy of his coming, the prophecy. And, and, and it's so true. The prophecy of his coming is important. But the context of the thing is what? Daniel says, 
the timing is here. We want to be made right. And what Gabriel tells Daniel is the timing is there and you're going to be made right. I have a way, but it's when the Messiah comes and the Messiah is cut off that he dies a substitutionary death there upon the cross and shed his blood. And then he dies, he's cut off what? Not for himself, but for us. And then when we do this, when we say, Lord, your blood purifies me, note this. Jesus doesn't have to die multiple times. He died once, once and for all. And as soon as he died, guess what? God said, all sin everywhere is forgiven. All sin for all time is forgiven. It's done. It's ended. And so there's never another sacrifice that needs to be because the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse a man of all unrighteousness. That means everything that you did, everything that you're presently doing that's in error, and everything that you will do. This is what we celebrate. When we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim victory till he comes. I'm proclaiming his death. I'm proclaiming substitution. I'm proclaiming I'm righteous, not because of what I'm going to do or what I have done, but because he took my sin and gave me the righteous requirement that's needed by God. This is the heart. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful for who you are and how you work. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for who you are. And, and we are so grateful, Lord, that you bring us through Scripture, but you allow us to see things in context. And it's not just about you coming it wasn't just you coming. God, you met with the children of Israel over and over and over, but the, the need for you, Jesus, to come was so that you could die. You had to come. You had to be cut off, but it wasn't for yourself. You had to come and be that substitutionary um, sacrifice for our sins, and we're so grateful for that. And we want to proclaim victory through the, the, um, through the bread and through the cup. And so continue to knit our hearts to you, we ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.